We okay? All right, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we face challenges every single day, not only from without, but also from within. It's easy for us to get distracted, angry, put out, impatient, the whole list. And yet you give us the ability through the Holy Spirit to overcome all of these things and to keep our focus clear of why we are here. We're ambassadors for Christ, and we are to execute your plan and do it your way. And we pray that you will help us do that and keep our focus clear and continue to exploit the grace that is ever-present. We ask that you do that this very moment as we study your word, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I didn't give the day today, did I? Today is April the 8th. Okay, uh, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, <clears throat> and if memory serves me correctly, we are on verse 4, is that correct? Okay, we're going to start with, uh, yeah, I guess we'll start with 5, we pretty well have finished with 4, let's start with verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we speak glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. We'll start with verse 5, and we've already gone through most of it. And where I'm going to, you can see on the notes here, we're going to begin with, for we never came with flattering speech. And we, we went through most of these scriptures that have to do with flattery. There's still a, a couple of them we need to look at. But let's just review for just a moment. I said that flattery is very damaging not only to those who receive the flattery, but also the one who does the flattering. Because it's really a verbal sin. That's what I think flattery is. Because... You're lying. You're telling some, somebody something that is not genuine, it's not true, and you have a motive behind it. It could be a, a, several different motives, but it's always to aggrandize yourself. You want to benefit, and you thinking that by buttering somebody up, by flattering them, that you're going to get your way. And one of the worst things about it is that you're not trusting the Lord. That is a, a telltale sign. If you're ever tempted to flatter someone in order to uh, have your way, you can just count on it. You are in carnality. You're not even close to having a personal sense of eternal destiny. You're doing it your way, and you're not going to be happy. You're just going to be a flop. So we need to recognize that if we're ever tempted to do that. I don't know if you ever are. I'm, I'm not, but that's not my area of weakness, but it might be for others. But for the one that is being flattered also, 
it weakens them because it makes them want to please man rather than God. You know, a lot of people don't get hardly any praise. They don't get any encouragement. Then someone comes along with ulterior motive and they give somebody some flattery and it just really sinks in. I mean, they, they just... Uh, it energizes them. It's something that they haven't had. They feel reinvigorated. They feel like they're somebody maybe for the first time in a long time. And that's not what we are to to count on. That's not how we are to determine our worth or our standing or anything else. We determine where we are spiritually by doing an analysis of our own life. Are we in carnality or are we in spirituality? You all know that these are the very fundamental basics of the Christian life. And it is the whole thing is, what is it that is pleasing to God? Because a lot of times you're not going to be popular. A lot of times there's going to be people who are going to pressure you that are going to um, make you want to get more flattery. You see, flattery is like a drug. It's, it's addictive. When someone says... Well, you're the best. You do this so well. I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. All you know, just very effusive. And if you believe that malarkey, then you're going to think, well, I'm going to try harder. And you know who you're going to try harder to please? The one that is flattering you. They're controlling you. I mean, the genuine compliments are fine. I think. Remember last time I said that when you have a genuine compliment. You should express it if it is true. And that's encouraging to people. And we all need encouragement. If someone deserves praise, give it to them. But always in a genuine fashion. Because once you, once you start depending on flattery, it's like a dope. You can't hardly get rid of it. And then you're going, to start, you're going to start making decisions based on pleasing people rather than God. And you don't ever get to that point. Your decisions must be based on character. What does the Bible say over and over and over about God's character? He is impartial. He's not partial in in any way. There's not a shadow of turning in Him. He's immutable when it comes to showing partiality to anyone. And we should be the same way. I know grandkids, it's kind of hard not to be um, partial. But especially in business, in an organization, whatever it may be, you have to be totally impartial. I think that's one reason why I was trained, and by the way, I continue to operate on the training that I receive, of not having anything to do whatsoever with the money in the church. I don't know who gives what, if you give, what you give, or anything else, because I don't want to even have a hint of showing partiality to anyone. And that's what flattery does. It, it tries to uh, make you be partial to people. The objectivity is out the window. That's why the Bible has so many harsh things to say about it. Look here at Proverbs 26:28. It's in the middle of our screen right here. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Ruin. It ruins the one that's receiving it, and the one who is giving it is being ruined. He's ruining himself. Then we have Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. We went over this last time. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching 
which you learn. You have to be very alert to that. Because there are people in some congregations, this, wasn't, this isn't a real large congregation. The more people you have, the more chance of a problem you have in this area where somebody doesn't agree with what the pastor's teaching and they won't let it go rather than just sitting it aside on their plate. I remember the colonel used to say, when there's a doctrine you just can't swallow. It's like a piece of meat. You know, keep chewing, chewing, chewing. It seems like it gets bigger. You just take it out. I think you, the proper thing to do, I'm not sure, is maybe put it in a napkin and put it on the side of your plate trying to try to hide it or something. Or you can be like some rednecks. And, I don't like that. And just put it over there. But you don't. You just set it aside, and then maybe maybe later on you might give it another whirl. Now, to some people that's not right etiquette, but it does make the illustration. In other words, maybe when you get more information, you grow to another degree, you get better perspective, maybe it will come into focus. But what you don't want to do is go around and say, I don't believe what he says, and I know so-and-so down the way. He doesn't say that. What does this verse say? It says, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned. This is a real danger, and you have to... This says keep your eye out. You've got to be careful about that. And when someone starts doing that, you have to... What does it say? Turn away from them. That's one of the best things to do. You know, anytime someone is saying something that you really... But don't agree with. It's really getting under your skin. If someone is haranguing you, if someone is going off on a diatribe, or they're trying to gossip, or they're trying to run down a friend of yours, whatever it may be, I think one of the best things to do is this number right here. Gone. They'll get the point. We don't have to stand and listen to gossip. We don't have to stand there and listen to someone run one of our friends down. We don't have to stand there and be harangued or anything else. We have the freedom to... And it's great. It's right here in the Word. Just turn around and walk away. You don't even have to explain. In fact, I think it's better if you don't explain. And if they say, well, what's the matter? Where are you going? I, well, I don't want to hear this. Then you just walk on. Verse 18, for such men are slaves not to our own, to our Lord Christ, but of their own appetite and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. We looked at that uh, Greek word, uh, appetite, it's kolia, and it's talking about emotions. I think I would be safe to say that most of the people that you know and most of the people that I know well, I don't know, maybe most people I know go to this church, but <laughs> I can't say that. Maybe that's the way with you too. Let me just say, most people that you know that don't go to this church live by their emotions. Very few people even live by character, much less doctrine. They do whatever feels good, whatever they think, whatever their emotions are dictated. And what does it say? It says, they are not slaves of our Lord Christ, but slaves of their own emotions. That's what that word appetite there means. They are slaves to their emotions. Boy, that's, that's, a, that's a horrible place to be because emotions are very fickle. And there's no thinking in emotions. By their smooth and look at that flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. 
Then we drop down to now, this is lesson 22. Jude 1.16, describing these type of people, they are grumblers. Do we have any grumblers in our midst? Don't raise your hand. We're playing poker here. You know, just grumblers. Finding fault. Following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That's always why people use flattery. It's for the sake of gaining advantage. Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. You know what that means? It means if you really love somebody, if they're a true friend or a relative, it's better for you to tell them the truth, even if it hurts, even if it's painful, even if they don't like it, than to just butter them up and make them feel like they're doing right and everything is okay. That's what that's talking about. To rebuke a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters him with the tongue. That flattery is a vicious tool. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. In other words, when you flatter someone, there is a motivation, there is a purpose. You want something, and you're using that flattery, those words, in order to traffic. And if he's arrogant, if he is not depending upon the Lord, if he does not have grace orientation, and he's trying to be a self-promoter, he will fall into that trap, and you will be controlling him. So you've got to be very careful of that. Some people can control by their anger, and just the other side of the coin is this. Some people will be so angry, and you walk on eggshells around them. You, you give them their way because they, you don't want to set them off. That's one side, but the other side of the coin is just the opposite. It's just using flattery. Both things are manipulation, and you have to be aware of it. I think I gave this last time. The only protection from the temptation of using flattery or from being used by flattery is the Word of God. Isn't that great? You have wisdom. But that's what you need. You don't need intelligence. You need wisdom. Some of the biggest fools that ever lived were very intelligent because they had no common sense. They had no doctrine. They were very smart, but it was a hindrance rather than an asset. So grace orientation is the best protection from flattery. You depend upon the Lord and His grace to provide for you. And you won't ever get into that flattery mess. Then the next phrase we have is, as you know. Again, Paul repeats what they already know to reinforce it in their minds. And I do that a lot of times. I will say things that you already know. I just went over some of what we went over last time. I know that you already know it. But the more you hear it, the more you will retain it, the sharper you will be, the more alert you will be, the better able you will be to be able to avoid those traps and snares that are out there. <clears throat> he says, nor with a pretext for greed. Now, Peter warns believers to be careful not to be exploited by the greed of false teachers. That's one thing that goes hand in hand with false teachers. Greed and false teaching. Because you have to use false teaching in order to bring in the dough. See, one of these things, and I think to some degree, those who are tithers and those who preach tithing 
is somewhat into, into this. Uh, I, I, maybe that's a little harsh. I don't know. But um, it, it's a false doctrine. Those that, uh, all, that handle the tithing never go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, where we are to give as we are able to give, not under compulsion. That's why every Sunday when I give the prayer for the uh, offertory, I always make sure they understand that, that this is not from compulsion. See, if you're a tither and you think that you're obligated to give 10%, that's compulsion. But that's not giving, and we've gone into this in the past, that uh, tithing was a really a system of taxation in the Old Testament. We're not under it. Even then, they uh, had after they gave their tithing, there was also free will offerings that went that were separate. Second Peter two three says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Y'all get the nut channel fourteen? Well, y'all probably all have cable. I don't know what it is there, but uh, it doesn't matter whether you're on cable or you get it through the antenna like I am at my house. There's certain stations that. I call the nut channel because you have all these false teacher, teachers exploiting people. And sometimes it gets obnoxious. It's, it nearly would be humorous, but it wasn't so sad that people are so naive and ignorant that they will send money into these people thinking that they're going to get help. And the whole idea is, yes, God is going to help you, but you've got to give your money to me and then God's going to help you. That's essentially their line and people don't see through it. Then when he says God is witness, actually in the Greek there you just have God and witness, just two words. The reason he's saying this is because no one could look into Paul's soul and witness that he was saying uh, what he was saying was true, so he proclaimed that God was his witness. In other words, when he's saying that there was no pretext for greed, they can hear what he's saying. They know that he didn't use flattery. But they can't look in. We can't look into his person's soul and tell if they are... Uh, motivated by greed or not. So he goes to the real witness, the one that he always could rely on, and that's God, because God is the only one that can what? Look on the inside, that invisible part of us, and know what is motivating us. Remember we just went to the Scriptures that had to do with He evaluates and analyzes the hearts? He does that because He knows He can He can go to the inside. That's why He went to that. Okay, verse 6. Moving on to the next verse. Nor did we seek glory from men. Now, the reason that, that he, uh, you, you can tell Paul is really making an issue here, isn't he? He said, we didn't use flattery. Uh, our motivation wasn't greed. We weren't after glory. He's going to have a whole laundry list of things that he did not do. He said, and you even know I didn't do it. Now, why do you suppose he was doing that? It was because there were critics. There were the Judaizers, those that... He, when he left, he went away. These people came in behind him, and they started attacking him. They were saying all of these things. They were accusing Paul of all these things. And now Paul is just writing them back and saying, Now, wait a minute. Don't buy this garbage. Remember, you were there. You know this. I'm, re- I'm reminding you of these things. So what does that tell us? That tells us when we are attacked, when we are persecuted, Unfairly, someone is going to allege, make innuendos or actual lies about us. We want to depend on the Lord to vindicate us, but it's also 
legitimate, it's also right to do what Paul is doing. Just set, set the, the, uh, the facts as being straight. You understand that? You have a right to at least, on, on your side of it, to say what the truth of the matter is. Now, some people think, well, I'm going I'm to put it in the Lord's hands. Well, that's fine. Put it in the Lord's hands. Don't, don't worry about it. But you do have the right to set the case right as far as your perspective is. You can, you can, in other words, you can have the right to tell your side of it. And then let them, whoever is involved in this, in this case it's the Thessalonians, they're going to make their own decision. But he is defending himself here. Do you see that? He even says, and God, he's not saying is my witness. That would be better English. But actually it just says God witness. In other words, God is my witness to these things. So we can defend ourselves, but we're still... So you can defend yourself and still depend on the Lord. Depending on the Lord doesn't mean that you go in your living room and sit on the sofa and meditate, and that's all you ever do. You have a... It's reasonable and right for you to be able to defend yourself even though you're still dependent on the Lord. People need to know the facts. They need to know the truth. So it says, nor did we seek glory from men. So one thing a person should learn as he gets older is that fame and glory is fleeting. Have you ever had the limelight in your life ever? Maybe some of you have and maybe some of you haven't. Maybe some of you haven't. It was on a smaller scale. But usually everybody from some time in their life, they say, have their 15 minutes of fame. You ever heard that before? Huh? I think that's a good thing because that's about how long it lasts. I have down here people uh, who are famous today are forgotten tomorrow. People in general are fickle and they have short memories. Especially if you're an athlete. Remember, um, if, if you're a quarterback, for instance, on a football team, and you, you, you have a couple of wins in a row, people think you're great. And they applaud you. And they, they just, you know, have your name on banners and they make up songs about you and all this. Then you go on a little losing streak. Then what happens? You're booed. You're, and, and with, even if you're good and, you're, and you stay good the entire time, you're only so good, uh, you're only good for so long in sports because usually it's the young people that are out there. I remember I saw George Blanda. Anybody remember George Blanda? George Blanda, uh, I saw, and I think he was in his 40s when he was playing professional football. I mean, that's like Grandpa being out there. And he was the field goal kicker. And uh, the new stadiums, like the Dome Stadium, nothing was that was even built yet. It was out at Jeppesen Stadium. And I was in the end zone when he kicked a 50-yard field goal. And that was, I mean, it, it made the papers. Now it's pretty common people kicking 50-yard field goals, but then... That was really something. It never, you know, usually they go, our stuff's like, I've never seen anything like that. When he kicked it, it was like a line drive. It went 50 yards and then just fell right over the other side of the deal. I don't know how he kicked it that way. I guess he had the wind with him or something. Anyway, I say George Blanda today, and there was a time, there's, because we got a lot of old fogies here, like myself, we know who George Blanda is. Go to a high school and say George Blanda, and, and what are they going to do? Huh? A lot of these guys, uh, they get in the Hall of Fame. 
by the time they are old enough to get in the Hall of Fame, none of the young people even know who they are. And they don't even look like what they used to when they were playing in sports. So I think if they're going to give the award for uh, you know, Hall of Fame, do it while someone can still recognize it. You know, while somebody can still remember who they are. So it's fleeting. It's not, what's the big deal? And you can't ever get it back. I remember when I used to be at Baraka, the colonel would talk about when, when the uh, conqueror, the Roman conqueror would come in. And it was a, a huge parade that would come in. And he would be on the finest chariot with all the beautiful horses. And he would be leading the procession. And there you know, would be probably 100,000 people out there. And they're all cheering and so forth. And he had a slave that was right standing beside him. And as he came in in this conquering mode, the slave would be whispering in his ear, Sig transit gloria mundi. Sig transit gloria mundi. Which means the fame of this life passes away. The glory of this life passes away. Now, I don't know. I guess that's true. He, he, it seems like he'd say, hey, give me a break or something. But um, it's, it's still, the, the, it's, the idea is if you're searching for fame, it's very hollow. It's really vain. What we need to be searching for or seeking is to be approved by God. Not to get to heaven, but to hear Him say that whenever we see Him for the first time. And then He says, either from you or from others. Paul included uh, his companions when he said uh, that they were not interested in receiving glory from anyone. You notice that He says, uh, from you or others, up here he was saying, see that we seek, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. It didn't matter who it was. He wasn't interested, nor was Silas or Timothy, interested in the accolades and the flattery or the praise of man. And then he says, even though as apostles of Christ, now certain men were given the spiritual gift of apostleship which carried the highest authority in the church age. There are no more apostles today because when the apostle just popped, that was one of the um, one of the requirements. Of course, you know, <laughs> Benny Hinn hadn't Benny Hinn. <clears throat> there are apostles in the local church as the pastor teacher. And he says, put these together. As apostles of Christ, we might have our authority. Very important piece. But it really, the translation does that close what we It's talking about to a degree, but it literally says to have the having the power. He's not saying he's not talking about having power to. We know this because we have the Greek word do uh, in a m o i, and then we also have the right to come on hand like God or somebody are forgiving You'd rather not, you know. You know, based in the shape. They had. They wanted to be tolerant down their throat because they're not gentle. Now, good poppy, it's not only no what. To be gentle. You are one lies because you, they are supposed to caring. And it's more easy. To look. Not, there's nothing wrong to said before we press on from this point. One <clears throat> is that it's very difficult when someone leaves the church, no matter what the reason. I mean, if they move away, and they go to another location, they're not going to be here anymore. That's hard for everybody. It's like someone in the family 
they are the family. We are a church family. We're a, there's the overall family, the universal church. All believers are the body of Christ. But we're also a family here also that we have strong emotional attraction and bonds, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think there would be something wrong if it wasn't the case. But when someone leaves, especially because they don't agree with the pastor, uh, they, have a, they, they have a parting of the ways over something. Some, sometimes it's a doctrinal issue. Sometimes something isn't handled in the church the way they like it or whatever else it is, and they leave. It's always very hard on the pastor. Because he, and he doesn't show it. He doesn't say anything to people. But he feels like he just lost one of his children. And he has to just press on and, and go on. And it's like it, when they leave under those circumstances, chances are very slim that he will ever see them again or very seldom ever see them. But it will never be the same. And this is essentially what he's saying. He said there's a bond, there's an attraction, there's an emotional connection there. And then there's another side to this also, as far as pastors are concerned. Um, even though there is that emotional bond and there is that uh, closeness, that esprit de corps, all that is there, they have to be careful to where they don't get too chummy if I can put it that way. Because there are some people that will take that emotional bond and being close and try to exploit it. In other words, the pastor still is the authority. And you have to be careful that you don't get so close, that you get so familiar that people think that they can ignore you. That's why I think in the military they have that, uh, you know, the officers and the enlisted men have different quarters. They don't spend time together so they won't become too familiar. Because if they do, if they're just real buddy-buddy, the next thing you know, the, car, the, the officer is barking out orders, and the guy says, well, hey, I was just um, playing poker with this guy. We were just buds, and now he's bossing me around. What's the deal? The military is cut and dried. When officers come in, they are shown proper respect, and there's always that separation. And for pastors, to a degree... He always has to have his radar out. He's going to have emotional bonds. You can't help but have that. But sometimes there has to be kind of a little step back, a little reserve or something. He has to be aware that you can get too close to someone. Now, some people, you can't get too close to them to where they're ever going to take advantage of it because they are so grounded in authority orientation their their job, you know, they have it all squared away. But to protect those that aren't squared away like that, pastors have to be somewhat cautious. And that has to do, see, he says, having thus a fond attachment or affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. He not only gave them the gospel, he not only trained them in doctrine, he was at their disposal. In other words, when they needed help in a physical sense, he was there. And that was a small church. I don't know how many were there. But the more people you have, the harder it is. You can't, you can't be at everybody's disposal the more people that you have. That's one reason that we have deacons. You know, that, that, uh, 
the, the authority is delegated down to where people go to the deacons. And then if the deacon thinks that it's something that I need to be apprised of, they come to me. That's the chain of command. That's the way it happens. And it protects this, this kind of, uh, I don't know, gray area that I'm talking about. And so uh, he was there. Now, don't get the idea that if, since, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, because I was a plumber years ago, I don't want you calling me about your plumbing, okay? I'm not going to show up. I love you, but I'm not going to do your plumbing. Call a plumber. No, I guess if you really needed it. (laughs) Uh, Do you understand what I'm saying? It's my very probably feeble way to impart something to you that most people never hear about. But this is what this verse is talking about, uh, an affection. And he, he, he he gave himself to him. But let me tell you this. This before I get away from here. The way that a pastor shows his love by far in the most important way is being prepared and teaching the Word faithfully and truly. That's the most important way that a pastor shows his love to his congregation. And the others, you know, is, is, um, doesn't even come close to that. So a lot of times I have to... Uh, I, I can't go places. I can't do things. Today, let me tell you, today was a very difficult day for me because it was absolutely gorgeous outside. And I have so many things to do outside. I have a garden that's coming on and I, it's, you know, I'm, and I'm thinking, oh man, anybody go outside today? Did you see what it's like? I spent, I didn't, I went outside to feed the chickens. That's the only time I was outside and the rest of the time, I was taking care of preparing for tonight, doing booklets that I'm doing, answering emails, you know, all, the, all the things that come with it. I'm not looking for... No, that's my job. I'm just trying to impart to you that when it comes to a pastor showing his affection and his love the most, it's by being faithful and tr- truthfully, accurately handling the Word of God. That's the best gift that any person can give. So, Paul and his companions developed a very close emotional attachment to the Thessalonians, and they also, in other words, they give themselves to them, to, to the congregation. And then First uh, Thessalonians 2.9, we'll just get into this because we can't, this is going to take a little time, but now we're getting into the part about the support. Remember the other verse I said, uh, to, to exercise the authority? With the the wording and the and the, the the context and all, I don't think meant essentially asserting authority when they need to, but they didn't demand or require. The, they had the right to maybe have things that they they did without. And that's what we see here, verse uh, nine. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed you the gospel of God, to you, the gospel of God. So now he's, he's coming right out and saying, when he's saying uh, they work night and day so as not to be a burden, you know what that's talking about. That's clear. He's talking about financial support. He had to work night and day. I said he had to. He didn't have to. He decided to do it. Look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, compliments this verse. 
You can either turn to it or look at it up here. Or you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working day, or night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Sound familiar? Not because we do not have the right to this. They had the right not to have to provide for themselves and be supported by their congregation. He said he's had a right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as model for you that you might not that they, that you might follow our example. So he's talking about remuneration here. He's talking about being supported by the congregation. He says he has the right to do that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy worked physically to support themselves even though they had the right to be supported by their congregation. Um, I don't have enough time to go any more into this. We'll start there next time. But I will say this. I am very appreciative to the Lord that I don't have to have another job to support myself, that I can dedicate my full time to the things of being a pastor of Country Bible Church. The studying is, takes priority number one, but you have no idea the time-consuming things and the pressures and all the other things that come with it, which is fine. Now, I understand that's part of the pastorate. But I'm expressing to you publicly how thankful I am to God that you, this group, these this believers, these brothers and sisters, have supported this church and me to where I don't have to work. There was a time a long time ago that I did have to work for a while. When the church was really small, it wasn't enough people here to support me, and I had to do other jobs. I worked at a log home company for a while. I drove a school bus for a while. And I can tell you, any time that a pastor has to support himself uh, other than just making his full time uh, own, uh, with regards to his ministry, it, really everyone suffers. Because a pastor is a pastor 100% of the time. There's never a time when he's not thinking that he's not looking and, and growing and, and, and thinking about what he needs to do. Is this a good illustration? What do I need to do here? All these things take a concerted, intense concentration. And you can't do that if you're working for someone else. You have to be thinking about what, they, what job you're doing there. And so, um, especially if you're driving a school bus, it's just trying to survive and get back for another day. I had 75 kids on my bus. And none of them were taught anything about respect, discipline, manners, anything. Maybe one thing about it, I have a lot of good illustrations uh, from them. But I, before I ended tonight, I just wanted to thank the Lord that He's enabled me to do, donate or, or to contribute my whole time to this. Because that's the way I think it ought to be. And pastors have a right to be supported by their congregation. And we go into the verses next time because there's some people that think that that's uh, avarice or greed or something on the pastor's uh, part. One guy told me one time he went to a church and he was going to speak. And when they were passing the plate, they came up there and gave him the plate to donate, uh, to contribute to the plate. And he said he didn't know what to do. Some confused people out there. So anyway, 
We'll pick this up next time. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time that we have to fellowship in Your Word. Your grace is absolutely astounding. It's true that You can do more than we can ever ask or think. And You're always there. You always care. You always guide. You always protect. You always provide. And yet we have such little capacity to show You the appreciation You deserve. And so often we just forget You altogether. So we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. And help us to remember that this life and everything about it is not about us. It's about You. And You've just brought us along for the ride. And what a ride when we understand Your Word and exploit Your grace. We pray that You will help us to take that to the heights. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.